Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 59 for the week ending Monday, May 30th, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masugu. My co-host on the show, Tefo Mohapi, is away yet again this week, but you can bet on him being back soon enough. And in place of our discussion segment this week, uh, you can look forward to me sharing part of an in-depth conversation I recently had with Stephen Van Koller, who is the CEO of Corporate and Investment Banking at Barclays Africa. Now, 2016 is shaping up to be quite a make-or-break year for large financial services organizations on the continent and somewhat of a breakthrough year for fintech startups. So be sure to stick around to hear Stephen explain what Barclays PLC's plan to sell its interest in Barclays Africa means for the business he runs and why he believes large financial services incumbents aren't likely to be completely disrupted by fintech startups. That's all coming up later, but in the meantime, if you're listening in for the first time, an extra special welcome to you. Luckily for you, all our past episodes are available to binge on at africantechroundup.com. We certainly love hearing from you all, so do keep your comments coming on Twitter at African Roundup or post something on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. Before we go any further, though, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is offering listeners of the African Tech Roundup a 30-day free trial to put their service to the test. Now, FreshBooks is the easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help freelancers and small business owners get organized, save time invoicing, and most importantly, get paid faster. To find out what all the fuss is about, try it out for free at gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. That's gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. This week's news headlines are coming up in a moment, but first, I want you to take a listen to some audio from a chat I had with the terrific Nigerian broadcaster and entrepreneur that is Andre Blaze Henshaw. Now, heads up, the full conversation will be featured as part of the upcoming season of my Andile's Take podcast. Now, Andre has strong opinions on how technology is shaping the way media is produced and distributed. And naturally, as a producer and host of easily one of the biggest podcast on the continent, the My Africa podcast, I personally raise his views very highly. Now, in the clip I'm about to play, Andre is no doubt speaking to the choir as he shares why he reckons podcasts are the future. Take a listen. The future of broadcasting is going to see a synergy between analog and digital systems, but it's going to see control of content forms and types falling back to the pure creative, falling back to the thinker, the feeler. So podcasts and the things that are going to come from interaction with podcasts, those are the future. They are the one way that we currently have to actually impact each other personally. In a world where we've largely taken our information and entertainment from television screens, which by their simple invention necessitated that make-believe became even bigger than humanly conceivable. In that world, after 50, 60, 70 years, humanity is saturated and it's looking for a way to feel again. So the podcast is that. The podcast is bearing. It's shameless. Its power is in its simplicity. It's in the simple ways that it tells the human story. The podcast is to the future what the Encyclopedia Britannica was to the past always thoughtful always eloquent uh, now do you guys agree with andre's take on podcasts being the future let us know on twitter at african roundup
Also, be sure to check out Andre's podcast on iTunes. Just search for My Africa. You should find it quite easily. Um, yeah, and you'll get much more of his rather unique brand of one-to-one exposition. And like I said earlier, there'll be more of that conversation on the upcoming season of Andile's Take, which starts on my birthday, Friday, 10th of June. But now it's on to this week's headlines. First up, Ghana's top police officer, Inspector General of Police, John Kudelow, has made an announcement this week that ruffled more than just a few feathers. Now, he said that the Ghana Police Service is considering blocking social media across the country on Election Day, which is set for November 7th, 2016. He cited the potential for social media to be used to peddle misinformation that could pose a danger to the nation's security during the polls. I'm like, really? I don't even understand why this is a police matter. Perhaps in Ghana, the police take care of national security. Perhaps they, they don't have a special division that's dedicated to that end. But basically, he's, he's named Facebook and Twitter specifically as some of the potential platforms earmarked for a possible blackout. Uh, among others, uh, he says they could be blocked for, you know, just 24 hours. Uh, he says that Ghana can learn from examples of other African countries which have recently pulled the same stunt of course, Uganda comes to mind. They had no problem shutting down social media on election day in February 2016. And again, on President Museveni's more recent inauguration. Uh, but of course, listen, we're not alone here. Africa is, is not rolling solo on this trend. Ghana would be looking to join the likes of Bangladesh, China, Iran, uh, North Korea, Syria. Um, yeah, they'd be in great company. Uh, although, of course, in those countries I just listed, social media bans haven't necessarily been related to elections. Now, listen, Ghana, we want to hear from you. The Inspector General is no doubt feeling you guys out to see how loudly you'll howl at the suggestions he's made. I want to ask our Ghanaian listeners two things. One, is social media truly a national security risk? Is there something as um, outsiders looking in on this situation that we, we're obviously not privy to? Um, has it been used in the past to incite violence, to spread hate that um, leads to people being harmed and, and destabilizing the country? Perhaps he's got a point. I don't know. If if social media has contributed to that, please let us know how. And um, number two, do you believe your government should have the right to block access to social media for any reason whatsoever? So Ghana, those two questions we want you to answer. Give us a shout on Twitter at African Roundup or send your audio comments uh, to hello at africantechroundup.com so you can be part of the show. Next up, let's talk Opera. The Norwegian online advertising and browser software company has received an acquisition offer from a consortium of Chinese internet firms and investors. Now, the Chinese clearly want Opera quite badly because they've offered the company's shareholders a whopping $1.2 billion for 100% of the company. That offer is a 53% premium on the firm's listed share price on the day the offer was made. Uh, and so... Big name investors involved in the deal are Kunlun and Kihu360, and the deal is backed by investment funds Golden Brick and Yonglian. And uh, the deal is expected to give uh, Opera access to an extensive internet user base in China, as well as much-needed finance for growth in other key developing markets around the world, including Africa, where Opera has quite a, a substantial footprint as is, largely thanks to the widespread use of their mobile browser, Opera Mini, and the uh, Opera mobile store, which in our region ranks uh, third behind Google's Play Store and Apple's App Store. So doing well there. Very interesting. I uh, wouldn't mind being a shareholder in Opera roundabout now. I believe the, the shareholders have indeed approved the deal. So for all intents and purposes, it's a done deal. It probably will be finalized in the coming weeks. 
Now, staying with international news impacting the continent, Microsoft and Facebook have become the latest major tech companies to announce the building of high-capacity transoceanic cables. Now, theirs is unique because of obviously uh, the, the joint venture aspect of this plan. Google's been having it for a while already, uh, and, and other companies looking to manage their own infrastructure as far as that's concerned. The two companies plan to build a 4,000-mile undersea cable that will run from Virginia in the U.S. to a data hub in Bilbao, Spain. The project has been dubbed Maria and will be operated and managed by uh, telecommunications infrastructure company Talxius, a company owned by Spanish telco Telefonica. Now, in terms of the actual size of the cable, we're talking something that's only about the width of an ordinary garden hose, but has the capacity to transmit up to 160 terabytes per second. Now, it's important to note that these sort of infrastructure developments are said to be directly related to meeting growing demand. So if the question is, when will Africa get more cables built, linking it to the rest of the world? Well, the answer seems to be as soon as demand grows sufficiently uh, to justify it. And I certainly remember Convergence Partners CEO Brandon Doyle saying as much when he was last on the show. Um, so either we grow demand sufficiently to justify it or political will for governments on the continent um, needs to shift so that it makes sense to offer the public and commercial interests more resilient and reliable connections via undersea cables to the rest of the world. Well, we'll see what comes first. Kenya nearly broke the internet last week when it was reported that popular gossip site gafla.co.ke made history by being the first Kenyan blog to be acquired by a major corporation. In this case, Ringia was said to be the uh, purchaser of this business in a deal reportedly worth just under 300000 US dollars. Now, it seems uh, it's possible that either those reports were false or in violation of some kind of embargo because some of the blogs uh, that reported the story have since pulled it. So if you know what's going on, Kenya, do give us a shout because uh, despite Gafla being a portal that peddles frivolous gossip, something I'm personally not a, a fan of, uh, we'd love to celebrate this achievement. Uh, you know, it's great for the new media fraternity uh, if it is indeed true. If you know anything we don't, you know what to do. Give us a shout on Twitter at African Roundup or sneak us a scoop via hello at africantechroundup.com. In South Africa, the country's largest opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, has lost a bid tabled in the National Assembly to regulate internet gambling. Now, the DA had put forward something called the Remote Gambling Bill to protect what they believe to be an industry rife with illegal operators who prey on the country's unsuspecting poor. And they believe that this industry is also not properly taxed, so we're missing out on revenue as a country that we could benefit from. Now, in the end, Parliament accepted uh, recommendations made by uh, a trade and industry committee report to reject the proposal. Personally, I hate gambling. Now, I've seen it ruin many people's lives, and I'm inclined to agree with the DAMP, Jordan Hill-Lewis, who thinks that the House is making a mistake by not regulating the online gambling industry. That said, I haven't read the bill, and uh, perhaps it was faulty, or, you know, perhaps badly written. All I'm saying is that I hope they regulate that industry sooner rather than later because I do feel a lot of people are going to be taken advantage of if they're not protected by law and a lot of um, unscrupulous business people are going to continue to do things that they shouldn't be doing online. That's all I can say about that. And finally, in a first for South Africa, the Barclays Africa-owned banking giant ABSA 
has launched a service called Absa Chat Banking on uh, Twitter. It will allow customers to perform certain transactions via direct messaging. Now, for the moment, Absa clients will be limited to receiving an account balance or buying data and airtime, uh, as well as viewing the last three transactions on their account. So it seems the trend towards companies looking for ways to endear themselves on, you know, to us as consumers on social and messaging platforms continues. And I guess the idea is for the likes of Absa to reach you wherever you spend the most time kicking it with your homies. The thing is, though, I, I kind of feel like uh, sometimes these efforts can come across like inviting your lawyer or banker to attend your baby shower or watch the football at your crib. It's just a, it's just a little awkward sometimes. That said, it is a first, and perhaps there's some of you out there who feel like, oh, this is excellent. I'm in Twitter all day, all the time. This is so much simpler than, than fo- telephone banking or hopping onto the app or, you know, jumping onto my laptop or, you know, PC to, to, to transact. Uh, I can do it right here in Twitter, or at least I can do only three things for now. But, you know, it's something. Maybe I'm excited. Are you excited? Is this something you, you, you've tried out if you're an APSA uh, customer, or is this something you wish your bank that doesn't currently offer this would do? Maybe this is the best thing since sliced bread. And so now, as promised, in place of this week's discussion, I'm going to play um, a, a clip from uh, the conversation I had with Stephen Von Koller, who is the CEO of Corporate and Investment Banking at Barclays Africa. He oversees a business that's worth nearly $1 billion. Now, in this conversation, he explained what's going to happen to valuable assets like ABSA when... Barclays PLC, uh, which is obviously uh, a, a, the, the British-based multinational, eventually pulls out of Africa. He also shared what he thinks financial institutions need to do to remain relevant in the face of disruption and why legacy institutions aren't likely to be completely disrupted by fintech startups. Take a listen. What does Barclays make money doing here in Africa? What is the model? I asked this in the context of stuff we've, we've obviously, you know, that's come out in the media about Barclays' plans to divest. And we speculate around the, the strategic reasons that the global firm might decide to do this. So just a key point to understand is that Barclays PLC is just a shareholder. Barclays Africa is an entity listed on the JSC. It's got operations in 12 countries or 13 countries if you take the uh, rep offices, and that's not changing. We're still going to operate our normal banking operations in all 13 countries. Uh, We're just losing a cornerstone shareholder, if you want to call it. Um, So the business plan stays very similar to what it's always been. There's not going to be much change there. Um, obviously, in my business, the wholesale business, being linked to Barclays has helped me build it very quickly. So in you know the last 10 years, we've gone from a 1.8 billion rand business to a 15 billion rand business. We could never have done that greenfields on our own. But we've grown up and we're about to you know um, go and find our own flat and get our own job and everything. So you know we've we've moved on. Um, so the business is the same. We operate in the retail space and the wholesale space. So our our core skills are around what I call flow banking, basically transactional banking. So a bank account, a home loan, a vehicle loan, a personal loan, a credit card, and it's just the same for corporates. You know, a bank account, doing salaries, doing wages, doing um, payments to creditors, doing foreign exchange, helping people with interest rates, um, lending money, doing trade finance. That is 95% of our business is that flow stuff. We've then got an investment bank which sits over the top that does the real structured stuff, the 
uh, what I call the lumpy deals. You know, you, you do a few of them a year, but they're very complicated, highly structured, and they're sorting out a complicated problem. Like dams and power stations. <laughs> yeah, those two. But, um, you know, something like an acquisition like Steinhoff has gone and done and, you know, bought a, a company in in Germany, relisted themselves there. That's quite a complicated transaction. doesn't happen every day. And so we try and add that over the top for these, you know, events as we call them for, for corporates. But largely we are a day-to-day flow business, as I call it, just traditional banking. And that's where 90% of our profits come from. You know, given the shifting landscape in finance, at large, but fintech specifically, how much are issues around technology and innovation dominating conversations you're having in this very room? And of course, our listeners can't see it, but um, I'm in this beautiful, lush uh, boardroom. How often does this room buzz with um, talk of innovation and technology and how we can surf the wave of fintech disruption? You make it sound very glamorous, and actually, it's uh, more business as usual. But but actually, it's it's, it's very important. Uh, of our five key um, agenda items uh, in our exco, um, three of them relate to technology in some way, data being one of them, and how we use it. But really. What we need to do is we need to make the client experience so much more user-friendly than it is. I still liken banking to a dentist appointment, and until we make it an iPhone purchase where people queue outside our doors every day because they want to be there, um, then uh, we haven't really won the game. And the third thing is really um, taking out cost out the business so that you can get a lower cost to serve. And ultimately, if you uh, think about exponential organizations, you want the marginal customer, the cost of acquisition or service to tend to zero because that's the ultimate uh, barrier to, to entry. So most of my executives and some further down, I've already sent them to Singularity University to get involved in their exponential organizations, RPP, just to get the, their way of thinking uh, different. And uh, we do a lot of work around that. And I know Barclays Africa has some innovation-driven initiatives to try and ensure that new ideas are not only supported but exploited. Uh, I know that Innovation Hubs is one of those you know, initiatives, except skeptics reckon this model of trying to manufacture innovation it, you know, hasn't really shown much promise uh, and isn't likely to prevent a giant like, like Barclays you know, from succumbing to disruption. So what do you say to skeptics who say that? So there's, there's, there's two things here. Is one is... The main reason why we do these accelerators is that in a big organization like ourselves is we're just not agile enough to get really on the leading edge of uh, innovation. So spending a, a bit of money and paying your homework to um, understand what these entrepreneurs are doing, these, um, these innovators are doing, actually helps you accelerate your understanding in the business. So even if nothing comes out of it, the best thing that for us that comes out of it, we've paid our school fees, and instead of going to some course in the U.S. or something, you actually have it on your doorstep and you, you're getting latest thinking. That's the first thing. The second thing also that I've found is where you've got business problems that you're trying to solve internally, if you put those out into the innovation space, it's amazing what people come up with. And so we've had a number of interventions that uh, have helped us. And, you know, it's like any, you think of any venture capitalist, they say if they get one out of 10 that works, they're doing well. 
And so a lot of the skeptics say, oh, there's big failure rate. But there is because you're at the leading edge. So I'm also in the space. If I get one out of ten that works and become and gives us something and we partner with them, then we've we've succeeded. And that's a good success rate. So it's at the top end. And so that's really what we're doing is really throwing business problems that we're struggling to solve in a big sort of uh, unagile organization. We try and throw it into um, those type hopes. And if you think about the cost of them, um, actually very low compared to us trying to solve it ourselves, getting halfway down, and then you have to, you know, um, throw it out. So um, I'm very positive about them, and that's why we've got involved. We've got a 200 million rand seeker fund that actually invests in some of them, and we've we've made some investments already. And as you know, we're into our um, second round of uh, accelerator program at the moment. There's some very interesting things coming out, some things that we hadn't even thought of ourselves. So uh, that's the beauty of it. Um, so I'm I'm very uh, pro, you know, doing this in this world that's changing so fast. Several fintech startup founders I've spoken to, uh, some of the most successful ones uh, have have told me that some of the hardest customers to try and sell on new ideas, innovative ideas within fintech are the banks. And uh, my question is, is there an unofficial or official uh, playbook at Barclays, you know, in terms of identifying uh, innovation outside the scope of say what you've just described and making moves to buy it in? Yeah. So that's what the, the seeker fund does. We've already acquired a company called Rainfin. Um, and uh, Rainfin's the only African peer-to-peer lending play, and we aggressively using it uh, for our SME lending because to do it in-house is very expensive and uh, takes a long time. You know, it can take up to two or three weeks to get an SME loan through. How does a deal like that happen? Um, interestingly, uh, what we did uh, two and a half years ago, we did something. I don't know if you've read the John Nagel book around. Uh, um, a strategy calls it a zoom in, zoom out, a zoom out, zoom in uh, policy. He's uh, in Deloitte, so he calls himself the center for the edge, which I think is quite uh, interesting. But basically, you go and have a look at what do you think your landscape's going to be in 10 years' time. That's the zoom out. And so we did what does banking look like, what does Africa look like in 10 years' time. And then we zoomed into our strategy today to see if we could recognize if if our strategy today would get us to where we think banking is going to be, and the answer was no. And so we had to fundamentally change things. So we came up with a few um, our, a few ideas that we thought were going to be interesting paths to walk down to learn about this, the changing evolution. And one of them was peer-to-peer lending, and we went out and had a look at what was in the market. We chose the best one. We spoke to the owner. And uh, what was interesting is he shared exactly the same view as us, is that he's got agility, which we don't have, but we've got scale, which he doesn't have. And so actually it's a perfect match. And so um, that's what we've you know, um, built on. So you come up with these ideas that you think will fundamentally change your, your business, and uh, you, you then go and partner with them. In the U.S., I think it's slightly different because entrepreneurs can get access to the scale. In uh, places like South Africa or Africa, it's very difficult because the scale is owned by a few people. Even in South Africa, there's only four main banks. So it's really about getting a bank to you know, trust you with a trial. Exactly right. Um, you've got to come up with a proposition that um, without 
you know, breaking the bank, you can do a trial together to see does it, you know, fundamentally change. And what's interesting is our original idea on peer-to-peer lending is not what has been the killer app. Um, it's a bit like, uh, you know, mobile phones, uh, you know, the killer app was SMS and now it's WhatsApp and that's the communication, not the voice and, and everything. And we found that as well. But what's, what, what's interesting around it is that um, if you don't go down these paths, you don't actually, you know, get anywhere. So you have to, you have to make a first step. And so my view is always to the, the, the place where it normally falls over is on, entrepreneurs have a much bigger view on the valuation of their, their company, even though they haven't achieved anything yet. And they undervalue the scale of a player like a Standard Bank or a Barclays or something like that. And so that's where a lot of the discussions fall apart. And when you get access to scale, your ability to accelerate is phenomenal. And uh, so that's where the accountant's been. Ah, he's nice back in the room, people. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's really what one has to deal with. And uh, that's always the difficult part. And then on the flip side of it, when you go back into an uh, investment committee of an old you know, legacy bank, they want to do cash flows and DCFs and everything. And, you know, the new world is not about cash flows and DCFs. It's about owning scale. And so, you know, getting that idea across is sometimes quite difficult. And so you've got this, you know, sort of conflict. But, you know, we're all learning and we're getting there. And uh, my personal view is in places like Africa, I don't think banks get disrupted totally because we own scale. Um, but there are other other scale players like um, cell phone companies, etc. So if you're a bank that's going to you know sit on your hands and do nothing, you will get disrupted. But I do think there's an absolute um, um, symbiotic relationship that can exist between ag- agility and scale. So entrepreneur and legacy, if they're prepared to both compromise on the way forward. A warm thank you to you, Stephen Van Koller, CEO of Corporate and Investment Banking at Barclays Africa, for making the time to chat to us. Uh, to listen to the full conversation I had with Stephen, visit conversations.africantechroundup.com. This episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is offering listeners of the African Tech Roundup a 30-day free trial to put their service to the test. Now, FreshBooks is the easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help freelancers and small business owners get organized, save time invoicing, and most importantly, get paid faster. To find out what all of us is about, try it out for free at gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. That's gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. And so that's this week's show, folks. We're back next week on africantechroundup.com with a fresh episode at 9 a.m. Central African time. In the meantime, it's cheers from me, Andile Masugu. Take it easy, Africa.